two artists walk into a bar. Now stop me if you've heard this one. Listen in as artists and creators talk over drinks about their work, life, and the creative journey. Thanks for tuning in to episode number five of Two Artists Walk Into a Bar. I'm your host artist, Carol McQuaid. Our guest artist today is a new queen of the slasher film genre, Lisa Ovius. She's acted, produced, and directed in lots of cool productions, but the buzz right now is all around her new baby, feature-length horror film, Puppet Killer. She also finds time to run her acting school, Rogue Studios, providing education, mentoring, and leadership to the next generation of Vancouver actors. Our bar is The Flying Pig. Awesome happy hour options with locations around Vancouver. We're at the one in Olympic Village. You'll find links to these things, including the Puppet Killer trailer, in our show notes on our website, twoartistswalkintoabar.com. If you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe. And if you love the show, head to the website where you can buy us our next round. Now let's head to The Flying Pig and listen in as Lisa and I talk about women in horror, growing up idolizing filmmakers like Tarantino, and balancing a career that is in full liftoff mode. Hang on until the end and you'll hear Lisa share a shrimp tale from our shared past. Hope you enjoy. Cheers. I am here with Lisa Ovius, and thank you. Here are thank mimosas you. landing well at the table. Timed. So, <laughs> cheers, lady. Cheers. <laughs> I asked you to do this because we've known each other for a long time, mm-hmm. and I have watched you rise to this career that is just so cool. So, uh, we were just talking before I hit record about what your title would be right now, and we said filmmaker, acting school owner what else give us the give us the series of hats you're currently wearing it's always such a hard question to answer uh i am a director a producer an actress i own rogue studios which is home to an agency two production companies and an acting school okay so it's fair to say that you have a lot going on (laughs) (laughs) always okay perfect (laughs) so let's talk about and one of the things i'm really intrigued with right now is what is happening with the film that you made last year I I actually played the trailer for it for my brother the other night and he was like oh my god I want to see this movie so give us a little rundown on Puppet Killer how it came to be what's happening with it the whole thing okay so Puppet Killer was I liken the story of Puppet Killer to chucking a giant boulder down a hill and chasing after it because it was my dream project I'd been producing feature films I'd been acting I'd been creating I directed some short films but this was my dream project directing a huge big feature film with a crazy concept and I was touring with two other feature films one was called Shooting the Musical the other was uh, Taking My Parents to Burning Man and as we started traveling the world and doing circuits I started talking more about Puppet Killer but as a as an idea in the future and the next thing you know all these people jumped on board it went from a short to a feature very quickly uh, I got a top A-list cast attached and the next thing you know I had investors and I was like oh here it comes your first beep I was like holy sh- I've got to make this yeah. movie now. So, um, <laughs> Whoops, it's real. Exactly. The way film works is it's all about momentum. I had a lot of buzz going. It was the right time to do it. So Puppet Killer was born. It is a horror film, pays homage to 1980s horror films like Friday the 13th and Halloween. It's very much uh, Cabin in the Woods meets Chucky. Yeah. Our main uh, actor in it, actor with quotations, is a pink fluffy puppet. Yeah. And uh, it 
it's all practical effects. It pays homage to like Evil Dead and some of the Sam Raimi stuff that really inspired me as a filmmaker. And we are currently right now in our final phase of post-production, expecting it to be released this summer. Wow. So what does that look like? How does how does a release like that roll out? It's well, as with all independent film, it's financially uh, dependent on our investors. So we were stalled for a little bit just because this is such a high quality project and we didn't want to lower the value in the end. So we paused for a little bit, made sure we got extra funding so that we can finish it properly. Right now I'm working with a phenomenal post-production coordinator, Marina Dix, and her and I were actually up till about midnight last night working on what our finals look like. We are just now locking picture. We're looking at pulling all of our plates or VFX. We don't, it was all practical, but there's still things you need to make pretty in the film we shot for 15 days in the mountains in the snow an hour and a half out of town over christmas and it's supposed to take place over 48 hours and in the middle of our shoot about day four it started snowing so the continuity is like, that was a fun morning. I was like, oh my God. Um, and so we like shoveled all the snow away really quick thinking maybe it won't snow again. And then the snow didn't melt. So our poor PAs had to shovel all the snow back into oh, place. No. So we had to do little pretty picks like that. Chris Orchard, my effects uh, artist, is going to just be sort of making all of the invisible fixes. Yeah. Our sound designer is working on that. And then we have our composer... Stephen Gallagher did the Lovely Bones, the Hobbit trilogy. He's working out of New Zealand, lovingly doing all of our music for it. Oh, nice. um, we're working with my favorite band, some of the members of Steel Panther that are writing our theme music for it, which is just a dream come true. So just putting all the finishing touches on it and making it a pretty little horror movie. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. And this is your first feature length film that you've as a done. director as a director I've produced in the past, uh, but this is my directorial debut for a feature film. Yeah. And what kind of projects lead to that what has your trajectory been in 30 <laughs> seconds or less go <laughs> never say no jump off the cliff do it if you're scared just do it um well you know me I'm a say yes think later or possibly never think kind of person I have the most unnatural but natural progression to my career I get passionate about something I get excited I ask a lot of questions and then I just sort of go so I started as an actress in 2008 I wasn't getting the roles that I wanted uh, I'm very comedically based I'm Chicago Second City I'm improv I wanted to do comedy at the time I was a runway model people said I didn't look like comedy and I was like but what is <laughs> pretty funny what does comedy look like <laughs> uh, so in 2011 I started my own production company started creating my own content then graduated into feature films as a producer and an actress and then uh, actually the way that this happened I always wanted to be a director but I think I had a confidence issue with it and when I was producing a film called I Want to Date You, we ended up having to let the director go four days before picture. And the poor writer and the financer and the star of the film was super stressed. But we were like, she's, it wasn't the right fit. And she was losing her, her vision for the film. And I wanted to honor that and protect her. And then she took me out, got me absolutely hammered and convinced me that I was going to direct the film. <laughs> and this is your directorial <laughs> debut? <laughs> Pretty much. I directed some... Uh, a 10 episode series for a fashion magazine called Ionic and a couple like smaller things, but nothing to this capacity and yeah. with only four days prep. Yeah. Uh, and, and so what that kind was... of background did you have? How did you know what to do? Laura Atkin, why did you make me do this? <laughs> <laughs> Laura Atkin, uh, if you're listening, I hope you're 
casting your eyes downward and feeling Lisa's pain right now. <laughs> uh, I actually owe her so much because she had the confidence in me. I didn't. I've been studying film my whole life. I've been obsessed with it. I didn't necessarily go to film school, but I had also up until that point, I think I have like 120 credits on IMDb under about nine different categories. I had uh, I won scholarships for directors in the um, uh, women in the director's chair for art department. I had done casting. I had done producing in multiple capacities. I'd been studying directors my whole life. Um, but I don't really know anything other than the fact that luckily, naturally, I was able to pull it off because it yeah. was a lot of panic. And you're a little bit bossy. So I think that <laughs> helps. <laughs> that actually helps you more as a producer. Yeah. As a director, you want everyone to sort of respect and love you on set. So that's what your AD's job is. But that fell into place. It was very natural. It happened, I don't want to say easy, but it was easier than I expected. I could communicate my vision really clearly to my DOP, who I love dearly. And everything just fell into place. And we made a fantastic film. And that was when this happened. So Puppet Killer was in my head for a while. We'd known that it had grown into a feature. I was going to star in it. I'm an actress. Mm -hmm. I didn't have the ego to say I could direct and star in a feature film. I do cameo in everything that I do because I'm self-indulgent. But uh, You and Alfred. Yeah. (laughs) Quentin Tarantino's my inspiration. Um, We went out for a drink, actually, while we were pausing on filming and I Want to Date You. And I had my gaffer and my DOP and I was explaining Puppet Killer and they were totally on board and excited. And they kept asking me why I wasn't going to direct it. And I said, because I can't do both. (laughs) And then my DP, Sterling Bancroft, looked at me and he said, Lisa, what are all the biographies on your bookcase? And I went, here's your second beep. They're all directors. <laughs> my, my beep button is going to get a workout. Exactly. You go for it, lady. Lisa beep Um And he was right. I've been inspired by Tarantino and Scorsese and Oliver Stone and all of these directors my whole life. And so I think that's where my school came from. Mm-hmm. I'm obsessed. When I moved to Mexico when I was 18, I went with two suitcases. One had clothes and one was a bunch of VHS of like Reservoir Dogs. And I would force my poor Mexican friends <laughs> to watch these movies. So I think without being cognizant of it, it was definitely the way that I was always meant to go. And then a door opened and you stepped up to the plate. Yeah. And then the next thing you know, I'm directing a crazy high budget with no money feature film in the snow with a practical puppet that kills people with practical effects in winter. So, you know, easy as my first. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Go big or go home. Yeah. (laughs) And did you write Puppet Killer as well? The story for that's really interesting. Um, I was originally producing a musical with puppets. And if anyone knows me, I'm not exactly rainbows and sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to um, interrupt you. I did see you sing in a... No, you didn't. It, I did. No, you didn't. Yes, I'm not cutting what? this out. What? It was a... It, what was it? it was oh, a, Fringe. Fringe. Oh, the my Fringe gosh, Festival. You're right. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking you were going to say drunk karaoke. And I'm like, no, you didn't. No. Uh, you're right. I did. I did. A, <laughs> I, I did. But go on. <laughs> I did a musical... Like seven years ago called, uh, of course, Night of the Bee Movie. Yeah. Obviously, there's a genre here. You're right. I did sing in that. Yeah. Dang it. Okay. But we also, it was Night of the Bee Movie and it was all in pay, paying homage to horror films. But you are correct. Yeah. Um, but yes, I was producing this musical. At the same time, I was a casting director on a feature film that was also a horror film. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of wrapped up in two separate worlds. And then I was sitting on the stairs watching this musical unfold with puppets. And it was this weird light bulb moment I'll never forget. Because as a producer, I wasn't creatively in control. I was serving other people, which is fine. And I was like, what would I do if I could do anything? And then I was like, oh, I'd kill people with a puppet. And I went home and I sat on it. And all of a sudden I started thinking of this little puppet that loved 1980s horrors and would mimic them and kill people. And then I called Lee Majub, the actor who was my reader at the time for the horror film I was doing, expecting him to tell me I was crazy. And he was like, oh, my God, I love it. And then at the beginning it was a comedy. 
Mm-hmm. It was a total spoof. It was just a short, self-indulgent thing for me. And then it grew and it grew and it grew uh, into the feature film, which is very serious and very much a horror film. But uh, I created the idea, the concept, the actors. And then I realized if I was going to do a film of this capacity with the cast that I had attached, which, by the way, I got all my A-list cast attached without reading a script, which they would hate for me to ever share with people because no actor does that. But mm-hmm. I had directed them all on previous things. And... They jumped on board without knowing that the script wasn't finished. And so I realized that this film was bigger than me and bigger than my ego. And so I found uh, a writer who had written the last uh, horror film that I'd starred in, mm-hmm. or part of me been in, I didn't star in it. And he and I worked together for about five months to polish the script. So he wrote it. I did a lot of the story editing with him, mm-hmm. but he definitely was a huge part of creating it. So how fun. And it's crazy. Uh, how is it for you now when you sit back and watch it? It's not complete yet. It's not complete, but I definitely can watch the film. The film is close enough to say that it's a film. It's surreal, mm-hmm. um, especially because of all the magical little moments that happen to make it happen. I directed I Want to Date You. We had some. That's the film, and Laura Adkin actually taught me to ask for whatever you want, and if it doesn't happen, to go smaller. And so we had some huge stars in it. And Alec Ponovic, who today this day is one of my favorite humans, uh, was in a scene with me. So that was my cameo, and I want to date you. And I fell in love with his comedic timing. He's very much a dramatic actor. He's one of the main stars of Van Helsing, War of the Planet of the Apes. He was on iZombie in The 100. He always plays these big, burly guys. He's 6'5". Mm-hmm. But he had this beautiful comedic timing. And so she taught me, just make offers to people. Every big actor we offered for I want to date you took it. And so... I was like, okay, I'm just going to offer. Like, I'm just going to go big. I'm going to offer all these people these roles. And everyone said yes. And then um, I started having this idea of what the film would look like. And then you just kind of do it. And it got surreal. And the next thing you know, I'm sitting in an editing suite. And I'm seeing everything I had in my head before we went to picture. And that is the most surreal experience. But it was also what gave me confidence as a director. Because whatever weird everything that was in my head before we started filming actually came out on camera. And it's... It's it's quite surreal. It's yeah. amazing though. Yeah. yeah. Oh, fun. And that yeah. is that's a big first project. That's I did not go small. Yeah. Like, literally, there were times when people were like, "How are we going to pull this off?" Because everyone was pushing, or a majority of people were pushing for me to go practical, or mm-hmm. pardon me, to to go uh, post visual effects. So, use a green screen, use a blue screen, get a puppeteer in there. Which well, we had a puppeteer, Asia, but to have her in a blue suit and just cut her out. And I was like, no, I want my puppet. To kill people. I want to make it practical. And they're like, how are we going to do this? And all the time on set, my answer was, here's your third beep. I don't fucking know. It's a puppet. (laughs) So I would be down in the snow with one of my actors working out a kill. And uh, we had an amazing woman, Maureen Bernstein. I'm so sorry if I said her name wrong. She was one of the puppeteers on Team America. And she came on as a puppet consultant. We couldn't afford her on set. But she came on and actually worked with us to work out the beats of what our kills would look like prior to going to picture. And still, to this day, I think it's absolutely insane what I picked for my first film. Yeah. (laughs) But the caliber of actor was a gift because I was working with some of the biggest names in Vancouver. And they brought their A-game. They played against this puppet like no one's business. So, And was there ever a point while you were filming when you thought... I've bitten off more than I can chew. Is this doable? Like minute by minute. Yeah. I. (laughs) No, I. Yeah. Yes. And no, there. I'm a little bit crazy. And if I get my eye on the prize, I think 10 feet ahead of me. So I don't know how present I was a lot of it to a regret because I don't think I sat sometimes and really enjoyed. Holy I'm making my movie. That entire experience is a blur, man. Yeah. (laughs) It was because I'm directing and we were shooting on such. So I had to work with and 
credit to the agents. I'm really lucky to have a lot of relationships with some of the top agencies here. And I'd walk into their agency and be like, okay, cool. I want Richard Harmon. He's on the 100. What are his inside outside dates for Christmas? And they were like, December 19th to January 7th. And I was like, okay. Book a cabin in the woods. We're booking a cabin <laughs> in the woods and getting the top crew and cast to give up their one break a year to come out into the woods and film this for like no money. Um, And so I think I just got into such survival mode with it that I just went on autopilot. And when it all ended, I was like, it's a blur. What did we do? Did we do it? Do we have a movie? Did we make it? Did we make it? So surreal. And looking at it now, if you think about little Lisa sitting in her house (laughs) when she's, uh, (laughs) is this the kind of thing that you envisioned you would be doing? When did you get this dream? Ah. I actually just had an emotional response, which you can't see, but uh, I don't have them often, so I'm going to acknowledge it. (laughs) I think it's something that I always wanted, but was too scared to want because I wanted it so bad. Like, I have never had a plan B. So, yeah, as a kid, my mom remembers me as young as, I think, grade five, doing acting out things for projects. In grade seven, I would shoot on VHS old school recorders, my school projects. In high school, I would write plays and cast people and talk somehow people into doing lighting on their spare time and do... So I always knew I wanted it. I moved to Mexico when I was 18 to write my first screenplay, which was totally bloody and like so Quentin Tarantino-esque. Yeah. But I don't think I ever sat in the fact that it could really happen. I don't know how to explain that. So when I sit here now, it's very surreal. I got to call my mother. I'm 38 years old. My mother has been the most passive supporter. Like, she's so great, but she thinks I'm crazy. She's a school librarian, an elementary school librarian. And, you know, I left when I was 18. And I got to call her on Friday with the biggest offer I've ever had in my life to direct a feature film. Oh, I'm going to cry now. We both actually cried on the phone. It was like, even if the film doesn't go, to have that moment of recognition in your career and know that after that much hard work and that much sacrifice that it's actually happening. So I'm right now reconciling with like tiny little Lisa that thought this would be an amazing dream but didn't know she'd do it. And then the reality of like, you need to give yourself some time and credit to sit and go, no, it's happening. This is what you do now. So. Yeah. And what can you tell us about that offer? The LA team has made a beautiful offer to my agent. My agent right now is going back and forth with our lawyer just because it's contracts, right? Mm -hmm. But I can say that the film is fantastic. I'm so excited to be attached to it. It's called Beverly Hills Lizard People. So it's so Oh, it's right up your alley. (laughs) I know. I know. It's so funny because the team... uh, I'm going to say it wrong and I really want to honor them, but it's Chutzlu Productions... um, they tight. were thank you exactly <laughs> I know and I want to honor them and I asked them how to say it in the meeting and of course I can't remember but they're wonderful uh, they were meeting with an actor in San Francisco about a year ago and they were like this is really what we need we have this phenomenal practical effects feature film we want a female director experienced in horror with a you know a good fan base who has experience in practical effects and puppeteering and this guy was like oh well Literally, the only one you can talk to is Lisa yeah. Yeah. Um So I know they had met with other directors prior to me, but uh, I read the script and it's exactly what I love. It's practical effects, it's animatronics, it's horror, it's death, but it's real. It's got comedic elements tied into it while still being very true to the elements of horror. And so we did our first interview and it was this magical moment where all three of us just sort of clicked completely and I understood the script. They loved that I got it. And then at AFM... This year was my first time going to AFM, which is the American Film Market, which is sort of on par with Khan as far as selling your films and getting business deals going. Uh, I went to go meet up with them, and they don't know this, but I thought it was a second pitch. So I was like, ready. 
I was like, I'm going to get this movie. I want this movie. I did all my homework. We met up at this beautiful restaurant in Santa Monica, and they were just there to offer the job to me. And I was like, what? Uh, Cut, Lisa, cut. (laughs) So uh, I had my first announcement in Variety Magazine, which again made my mother cry, and we announced that I had been attached to it. And uh, right now we're going to be – they're flying up from L.A. on the 7th of March. We're going to do some meetings, start talking about our keys and – ADI, Amalgamated Dynamics Incorporated, which is the most amazing practical effects company in the world, in my opinion. They did Aliens, they did Predator, they did The Last It, they've got multiple Academy Award nominations and wins. Uh, Alec Gillis and I were guests at uh, Crypticon three years ago. We were both guests at a, at a convention and we found out that we were the same humans. We're both horrible human <laughs> beings with horrible <laughs> senses of humor. And we decided that we needed to work together. So yeah. for whatever interesting reason, that company has attached themselves to do all my practicals for this film. So they're going to build the animatronic lizard people and I'm going to get to work with inspiring amazing humans that are going to make me even better as a director so this project is it's a dream come true what a fantastic opportunity and uh, and how cool to already be the person on that list so women in horror mm-hmm It's Women in Horror Month right now, by the way. Is it? Two more days. February is Women in Horror Month. (laughs) Right on. So why do you think there are, or are there a lot of women doing it? what, What is the world of women in horror right now? It's really hard to say because there wasn't social media in the same capacity 10 years ago. And I think so many of us are fighting from an independent standpoint that maybe there was just as many 10 to 15 years ago. And I just didn't know about them because we didn't have the influx of social media and the support right. that we do online. Uh, but I definitely think it's a it's a pretty impressive movement, whether or not it always existed and it just didn't have the attention it's getting now. Mm-hmm. With supporters from all over the world that are just on board to support women in film. And we collectively as a community support each other. We have a month dedicated to it. There's film festivals specifically dedicated dedicated to it. Uh, and a lot of the blogs and the articles out there right now are really pro-female in, in, in horror. So yeah. I think women have always loved horror. I think Hollywood's been a, a hard beast to, to kick the door down for any woman, just even as a director. Mm-hmm. And then to go into such a specific genre that is so male-dominated, I think you're just asking for yeah. more challenges. But that's me. I'm like, yeah. Where's the one place I'm not invited? I'm coming with five <laughs> of my friends. <laughs> And it seems to be working. So have you ever felt that resistance? Have there been things you've been blocked from? Not that I want to get all political, right. but uh, but do you find that bring the right energy and the doors will open? Or what's your experience been? I have a hard time answering that because I don't want to dishonor how hard it is for women. Mm-hmm. I think it has been, I mean, you just look at the statistics, what we get paid, what our opportunities are, how many women are in the DGC and whatnot, uh, the Directors Guild of Canada, and or in America, the same capacity, um, and especially with DOPs as well. I think it's just the numbers speak volumes for what our opportunities are. Right. That said, I have had a different journey myself, so I can only speak for mine. I have actually been so unbelievably supported by the men in my life. Yeah, It's the men in Vancouver specifically that have stood by me, given me opportunity, really allowed me to believe in myself when I didn't, really had my back when I was self-confident about, or self-conscious, pardon me, about being a producer or a director. My experience uniquely, regrettably, has been that I've had a harder time with women in the industry. Yeah. Which it kills me to say, but it's the truth. I... When I started out as a producer in 2011, I've always looked young for my age. That was seven years ago, so I would have been 31. And I would go to parties and film events where I was self-conscious of whether or not I was worthy to be there, even though I'd been producing films and starring in films. And men would introduce me as like, this is this great writer, producer. And and then other women would come up to me. And I remember a woman specifically asking me, like, why are you here? 
what has made you worthy of being here? And you're going, don't say the voices wow. inside my head out loud. So yeah. I've had a lot of women really have my back, mm-hmm. but I've experienced a very unique version of this career where I think the men have really supported me. And I don't think I've lost opportunities, but I'm not cognizant of that. There might have yeah. been opportunities I lost, but I'm a very loud door kicking kind of woman so if well, I lost those opportunities I didn't pay attention and I just kept fighting for the next one so. yeah you get an idea and you go for it yes and, and it's working yes yes yeah. it's exhausting and tiring especially because right now all of these ideas are all happening at the same time and you're like oh my gosh there's so many balls to juggle and I think too the most helpful thing right now not that it's the why but it's an awesome byproduct is as you are doing things like that you become the role model for women coming up and you become the door opener for for people coming up. I hope so. That's one of the reasons I started my school. I own a children's acting school and a lot of what I'm doing, even though anyone is welcome to come, it's about 90% women between the ages of 12 and 20. And I accidentally fell into that position of mentor and role model for them. And what I do with them in class is not just teach acting and all of these other things. I teach life skills and confidence and owning your space. And so I think that's a really big thing. I don't look at myself necessarily as a mentor, but I know that it's my responsibility to set example for the other kids and the next generation. Mm -hmm. And I also think with the new Me Too movement, it's my responsibility to stand up and be vocal because if I'm asking these kids to be brave, I have to lead by example. So sort of a product of all of those things. Rogue is not a small thing. And you're a busy woman. So (laughs) tell us a little more about what the school is, what it encompasses, and how you handle it. Ah, that's so funny. I just ran from a meeting with my business advisor, and he actually, we're so in a crunch right now that he gave me a color-coded to-do list. I always just get to-do lists for the week. This one has bright red. (laughs) Consider this your traffic light. And and it was like, the red needs to be done right now. (laughs) Rogue Studios, so I ran. uh, I'm also going to let all of you know that I'm casually looking around for another mimosa. I uh, I ran an acting school for four years completely by accident. I was producing at the time, and they offered me a part-time stable income in a very unstable community to run a children's acting school. I'd never done it. I had no idea anything about it, but I was like, sure, why not? Uh, within four years, I grew their company by 1,000%. I left their company a year and a half ago when I started Rogue Studios with only the intention of continuing to teach my adult improv class. I am an improv woman. I've been doing it for eight years. I loved my class. And a bunch of parents just got in touch with me and they're like, no, if you're leaving, we're coming with you. And so I started thinking about in a perfect world, what would a kid's acting school be? And then I realized because I owned it, it was a perfect world. Yes. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> What Rogue Studios does is we took um, I took a look at what we do to empower and educate adult actors that we don't do for children. So adults go to a full-time program. They learn the business. They learn mind-body. They learn emotional connection. They learn scene study. They learn all of these things so that they are responsible, stable humans on set. And then kids just learn how to on-camera audition. Uh-huh. And it doesn't serve them holistically as an actor in any capacity. Right. So we uh, created a company and a, and a concept that focuses, A, on Vancouver specific. So in Vancouver, Canada, we do a lot of sci-fi. A lot of the kids' schools are teaching them Disney and Nickelodeon, which we don't cast here. 
And if you've trained in that for three years, you've got it. But I have kids that come to me and they've got an audition for the 100 and they have to slit someone's throat. Right. And yes, I'm a horror director. So I'm like, okay, cool. Let's talk about this. Yeah. But I started noticing a massive hole in what they were being uh, taught and what their parents were being taught. So we teach sci-fi. I have Jessica Cameron as one of my instructors. She's a huge scream queen in LA. She flies out and teaches them on camera death. I have Alex Ponovic, who was in War for the Planet of the Apes. He teaches them performance capture. I have Kaylee Jean, who's a huge makeup artist that works on... Uh, the Flash and pretty much every uh, once upon a time she'll come in and talk about 3D prosthetic application and how that experience will go on set when they go through that we do emotional connection business so we have taken a one year intensive invite only program and elevated everything that these children are doing and now they are booking consistently they're on shows all the time their parents are supported we do free parent workshops I just do pretty much everything I can to give these kids the biggest opportunity in film and then I also balance my program with life coaching so stability, how to understand and control your emotions, how to understand your self-worth, how to manage being a 13-year-old or 15-year-old girl or boy in the industry as well as in high school. Right. So my main goal is creating really balanced beings. And then if they're booking and being successful on top of it, amazing. Um, and then I also, uh, I'm a, a horrible human and I totally take advantage of my connections in the industry. So <laughs> I bring in all the top agents and directors and they all work with them too. I just brought in a bunch of agents and yesterday I got an email saying that an agent has made an offer to two of my kids to sign them, which was just like life changing for these little beings. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love nice. it. We're doing good. Yay. And you've used the word we a couple times when yes. you're talking about the school. So who is the we? Well, I'm the only owner, um, but I really do respect the fact that it's my staff that are just as much amazing as well. So I have a staff of about, I want to say, 10. Uh, majority of them are actors that are actively working in film and television right now that are my instructors. Uh, Mark Anthony Messiah, Aaron Boys, uh, Nils Hogstead, like I mentioned, Alex Ponovic, Katie Stewart. So they all balance out their schedules. And then I have a whole bunch of associates that will come on board, like Shanna Mare, who's the costume designer for Supergirl, or Jason Bork, who's a the director. They'll pop in to do perspective uh, classes. And then I have, I have a female-run company. I don't on purpose only hire women, but I think because my intention is to empower women. I have a female staff, my assistant, Anisha Chima, and then I have two interns that are uh, working in the agency as well as Rogue Studios to support. So. Yeah. And so for you personally, how do you manage <laughs> running a business that size, producing, promoting, all of it? Like where, how do you, how do you chill? How do you separate? What's I'm, your strategy? I'm still learning that. Uh, I really need, there's one of two versions of me. There's one like today. I've got 17 meetings. I'm on it. I'm nailing it. I got my schedule. And then there's me who stares at the wall like a zombie and just goes, huh? And like five hours have gone by and I'm like, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. (laughs) Um, right now I'm in the middle of a storm because I'm in post-production on Puppet Killer and things are getting picked up. Lizard people is picking up and the company is doing really well. But the first year that I grew Rogue Studios and it grew a lot faster than I expected. We're in the middle of our third move this week. I take the I took the keys to a new studio yesterday. We oh, opened the doors wow. on Thursday. Oh. <laughs> and you are meeting me and drinking yes. mimosas yes. at the Flying Pig. Yes. So, wow. Part of why I want another mimosa. Um, <laughs> where, is, where is that girl? Luckily, the first year, and I say it in the weirdness, my uh, puppet killer was on pause while we waited for funding. So I didn't have to worry so much about it. And I didn't get the lizard people offer yet. So I was actually able to dedicate pretty much a year to creating the company. Um, I'm in LA a lot and I try to balance travel, but I've also created a system with my business advisors as well, where I have a staff that 
I can let it go. That's a new thing that I'm learning. Yeah. I read the book Think and Grow Rich. It's an amazing book. It is it's an amazing book. A, a classic. I've read about it a lot, yeah. but I, uh, I went to Mexico for three weeks this Christmas and I read that book and in it, it just talks about your mastermind. And I went, you know what? You're right. I'm overwhelmed. My companies are growing faster than I, I never went to business school. I'm making everything I do up. I never even went to film school. I did part-time school 10 years ago. So yeah. I started getting intimidated and um, I just read the chapter about a mastermind. Yeah. And so within that moment, I hired a personal trainer, a life coach and a business advisor from Mexico. Yeah. And that's a big part of it. Yeah. Is micromanaging, letting things, or pardon me, not micromanaging anymore, letting things go, trusting my staff, and then Delegate. managing my time yeah. and holding myself accountable. Yeah. So my life coach makes sure that I take care of me every week. I have check-ins with her. My personal yeah. trainer makes sure I take care of me, and my business advisor keeps me on check, specifically for Rogue. Yeah. And then it's like my post-production supervisors and everyone else that keep me in check for the film. So yeah. community. Yay. So you surround yourself with the right people. Yeah. You are inspired by the right people. You yeah. talked a little bit about your heroes, mm -hmm. about Tarantino and, and uh, how much influence do you think they have on your work? Without question. Uh, it was Kevin Smith who just had a heart attack yesterday, so sending you massive love, my dear. Uh, Kevin Smith, Tarantino, and Scorsese, probably Sam Raimi, that really inspired me when I was younger because they were all people that didn't wait around for opportunity. Yeah. So when people look at my IMDb and they're like, why were you wearing so much hats or so many hats? It's not because I wanted to. I was like, because mm -hmm. I needed to get it done, but I also wanted to learn. And they did everything. I yeah. was originally going to be a Kevin Smith. I was going to edit my own films and blah, blah, blah. And it turns out I don't know how to edit. Um, <laughs> they went to film school. Um, but yeah, the Rodriguez's and everyone that just went out and made it happen inspired me to make it happen. And Robert Rodriguez really set an expectation of your first film can be crap. Just mm -hmm. go make it. Mm -hmm. Like, just go make your first film. And so all of these guys that put themselves out there and made phenomenal films or films even for that matter really put the fire in me to just just go never question it just try it if it's a horrible film you're like no problem I'm gonna go make four more horrible films and then my sixth film's gonna be an amazing film which is what freaks me out about Puppet Killer because it's not done yet and it's being requested all over the world and there's so much press on it and I'm like oh come on guys my first movie can we just like skate this one under the carpet and the next one you should look at that was my film school yeah <laughs> but I would obsessively read their biographies when I was about 16 to 18 like just yeah so inspired for up-and-comers reflecting on having gone or not gone to film school like you've done fine without it do you think that that is something that is uh, like if you've got the drive and you're willing to multitask and learn and basically apprentice doing other people's projects do you think that's as good a route as going to film school or what do you what do you think the I, industry needs? I think that there's there's pros and cons to both I yeah. mean because I work with people that did the Capilano four-year uh, or three-year film program and they know more than I'll ever know like they mm -hmm. can take a short film and color correct it and they can do and I'm like I, I can't do that I have to rely on other people for that right. so I think there's some amazing opportunities in film school mm -hmm. that said I think taking that 10 grand and making your first film has some value to it as well. Yeah. I think there's two personalities out there. Well, there's a million, but I'm going to liken it into two. I'm a go-getter. I'm a networker. My father is the most social human being, as you know. Yeah. We're in we're salespeople by nature, even if we don't want to be, right? Yeah. So part of why I have the opportunities and the connections I have is because I made that part of my business plan. So I made sure to know everyone. If I screen at a film festival, I will know every other person, even if it is Peter Melman. Hi, Peter, who uh, was a writer and producer on Seinfeld. He was a phenomenal guest at the Austin Film Festival and ended up 
everyone was kind of putting him on a pedestal. And I was like, no, 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 but he's here for a reason and I'm here for a reason. I'm just going to go talk to him. Yeah. He's a phenomenal friend. He's made amazing letters of reference for me throughout the years. So I would look at opportunities to connect and learn and be humble and just say to people like, hey, I'm still learning. Can I pick your brain? Yeah. I will put myself out there like that if you're willing to do that and then volunteer in every set and then utilize those all of those connections. Every time I met a person, I would fly to L.A. and follow up with them and really make that my film school. Yeah. Yes, that works. Yeah. If you're just going to sit around waiting to meet people or make a short film with your friends and hope it will change your life, maybe go to film school. Yeah. Yeah. Does that answer it at all? Yeah, it does. This is a question that comes up a lot in visual art, too. What point is it, you know, I have my BFA, my MFA, or, man, this person is creating amazing things and they left school at grade eight. When does it matter? When doesn't it matter? Who does it matter to? I think the big thing is you can be making the most amazing product, and this is frustrating, and I think technology has definitely changed this, but if you're making the most amazing product and no one knows who you are and no one's looking at it, not that it doesn't matter. It's amazing that you made it, but what does it do to serve you? So finding the balance between making amazing content and then finding a way for it to get out there. So if it's entering film festivals or even if there's a film festival in your city and you don't have a film, look at every single one of the people in the program and find the ones that have the directors and the actors at the Q&As and go and then meet them and ask questions and create a network that you don't have otherwise and looking into film communities in your town. Like those things I think are really important. Yeah. And I think sometimes for artists, either we're crazy outgoing or we're incredibly introverted or a weird balance of both. Yeah. And we have to, I'm a weird balance of both. Yeah. Like sometimes I have to talk myself into a red carpet event or going out, but that's part of my job. Yeah. I think. So I think finding the value in that and and creating that network is as valuable, if not more valuable than film school. Yeah. But again, I've been reading film books since I was probably 10 years old. So even though I didn't go to film school, I made a point of absorbing everyone's knowledge as much as I possibly could. Yeah. So getting the info somewhere, whether it's self-driven or... In humility, I would go to these film festivals when we were smaller filmmakers. We'd have a feature film in a festival. So my attitude was like, I'm I'm equal to everyone else who has a film here. I don't Mm -hmm. care if, you know, Chad Michael Murray is in your film. Like, guess what? Uh, And there, I would go in with the humility of, I'm new, but I really respect what you've done. I'd love to pick your brain sometime. Whereas some newer filmmakers will go in so intimidated that they go in with that whole attitude of like, oh, I deserve to be here. It's fine. I know everything. And it's coming out of insecurity, but it makes them unapproachable. Right. So I think humility to say, I actually am still learning. I don't know what I'm doing. Can I pick your brain? Right. I don't think I've ever had someone say no. Right. So you're at this point in this busy, awesome ah, career. If you look forward... 10 years where do you see it all going you've got this one big project on the horizon what else do you want to fill this up with that's such a wonderful question I love that because if I was to sit back five years I don't think anyone you know me there's no way five years ago I would have been like I'm gonna have a house in Vancouver (laughs) I'm gonna have five companies a couple feature films under my belt I'd be like I hope I can pay my rent (laughs) literally (laughs) um so on that note I think uh I would really, I will continue to make bigger films and to uh, break into a genre that women don't have a lot of invite into. So I would like to do a big studio film if it's a Marvel or if it's a Star Wars or if it's a franchise film. Yeah, I want to continue to challenge myself. I want to really honor practical effects. So practical effects are almost a dying art. Um, The new Star Wars have really done a lot to bring them back to the screen, but I want to be old school practical effects big budget, multi-studio films. Well, I wish you a ton of success in doing that. Is there anything that we didn't talk about 
that you would love to. How are you? <laughs> That's a whole nother podcast, <laughs> sister. <laughs> um, no, I would say if this, the, the intent of this podcast is to reach out to people that want to go farther and open up, I would just say educate yourself, read all the books, put yourself out there, ask questions, email people if you don't even know them. The worst is that they won't email you back. I think it's really important to um, look for mentorship and guide, guidance from other people and the right people, as Kevin Spacey said, send the elevator down. Yeah. So continue to look for that and then don't be a Send it back down. Yeah, right on. Well, cannot wait to see that puppet slashing people up. So, Thank uh, you. Yeah. Oh, if yeah. you want to look at the uh, the trailer, it's online at Puppet Killer uh, under my channel, I think. And we also have uh, Puppet Simon is on Twitter. He's kind of a d- He's amazing. There's some <laughs> Facebook stuff out there. I suck at social media, though. My producers yell at me all the time. So it's yeah. on my to-do list. Yeah. I'll get better. Well, all of those links will be in the show notes. Yay. And uh, yeah, check it out. If you've got a youngin who is bound to be a star, send them to over to Rogue Studios. And uh, thank you for coming and hanging out with me. Cheers, sister. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. <laughs> Not so fast, lady. Uh, show's called Two Artists Walk Into a Bar. I don't think you get to leave without telling me a joke, a funny story, something related to your film career or anything at all. (laughs) Fine. Uh, Two artists walk into a bar. One pulls a bunch of shrimp out of her purse. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) I'm having a flashback to a certain young pre-filmmaker. I don't remember all the details of this story, but this is one of my favorite stories about Carol. It's 10 years ago. It's 14 years ago. 14 years ago. 14 years ago. We're living in Mexico. Uh, I have a wonderful fiance and uh, and we're being responsible business people. Oh, um, that's close to the truth. (laughs) It's not the entire truth. I have a wonderful fiance who's (laughs) more responsible than us. (laughs) Yeah. And what we found is that me and Carol enjoyed going out with our friends and having adult beverages after work, whereas he would go home and be, I don't know boring yeah and we're not together anymore Um, (laughs) we got into an interesting pattern where i would go out with carol and we would just uh, have drinks and laugh and have a great time after successful days at work and i don't actually remember why i I know why it started okay we were out one night and we were eating uh shrimp yep at that yeah, seedy the, little yeah, bar yeah, yeah. in Puerto <laughs> Peñasco. The, the one on the upstairs, yeah. right? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And I remember dropping a shrimp tail, but I didn't know. Like it was just kind of a flash moment. We're sitting on the bar stools. I think we're talking to boys. Don't yep. tell the ex-fiance. Yep. And uh, <laughs> and I dropped this shrimp tail. And the next morning, we were in a business okay, meeting. Okay, and this you is and the I, best visual I have in my life. Because you look. <laughs> we're in the middle of a fairly like not you know, horrible business meeting, but it's quite serious and everyone's sitting around there. We're in business clothes. And me and Carol are some (laughs) of the only boss ladies in there. And all of a sudden she gets this look on her face and goes, (gasps) and she looks me in the eye and then she looks down at her purse and she opens up this Prada purse and pulls out a shrimp tail. (laughs) Flash forward to the next meeting. When I open my purse, and Lisa cannot wait for me to open my bag. I'm like, what is going Oh, oh. I had decided the night before to fill her purse with shrimp tails. And the funny thing is, we are still talking. Yes. <laughs> I do believe you had to throw the purse out, though. I think it so like You owe me a Prada purse. Perfect. When your next film launches, I get the bag, baby. Deal. I'll buy it in Mexico. I can't okay. promise it'll be real. <laughs> I, I got you on tape. <laughs> You've been 
listening to Two Artists Walk Into a Bar. I'm your host artist, Carol McQuaid. For full show notes and all the links, head to twoartistswalkintoabar.com. If you liked the episode, remember to subscribe, sign up for updates, and leave us a review. And if you loved the episode, head to twoartistswalkintoabar.com and buy us our next round. Cheers. <laughs>